Joanna, do you ever wish you could definitively prove that you had the right opinions about movies? Uh, yeah, Neil, because I do have the right opinions about movies and television. Right, Dave? No, because I'm more right about those things, and I demand trial by content. Oh boy, what is trial by content? Each week, we'll take on a huge question. Each of us will bring a choice, and combined with listener submissions and your votes, we will come to a decision. It's trial by content every Tuesday on Spotify, TheRinger.com, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't let Neil win. Don't let Dave win. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line live from Amit's tomb, it's Rob Mahoney. <laughs> Look, I'm actually here to talk about the final season of Animal Kingdom. So thank you for having me on, Chris. <laughs> you're, the, you're the guy. You've been waiting your turn. No, Rob, it's so good to have you on the podcast. For folks who don't know, Rob is one of our basketball writers. He also appears on uh, one of our Ringer NBA shows, Group Chat, and you can find him on Ringerverse often. You can find him on Big Picture. You can find him on Bill's Pod. He, he's all over this place. He's uh, not only a great basketball mind, but I really love the way he thinks about pop culture. So I wanted to have him on today to talk about a bunch of different stuff, including Winning Time, Moon Knight, and especially a new show that's coming out on Friday that we are both very, very excited about called Out oh, yeah. of Range on Amazon. But we will get to that. Rob, how are you doing today, man? Look, I'm great. This is the calm before the storm. The playoffs start this weekend, so I'm cramming in as much TV and as many movies as I can before it really kicks into high gear. How much, uh, you know, medical dramas are you watching to prepare yourself for Lucas calf updates? <laughs> Look, you got to get ready for the calf updates. Jared Allen has a broken finger. You got Ben Simmons with the bad back. I'm WebMDing to my heart's content, mostly just to save on the hours. But if, you know, if we want to squeeze in some Grey's Anatomy or just something, get some I'm not new Amsterdam down. Yeah, well, let's go. You know, you mentioned the NBA playoffs. I was looking today I, in the uh, the Watches Facebook group. There was actually a post where somebody mentioned that they calculated that um, that they had 22 and a half hours of TV perspective television that they could watch this week. 22 and a half hours, I think, spread across 25 shows that they had identified that they liked. Andy Sheesh. and I did a podcast a little while ago where we sort of took stock in the middle of March and we were like, I think there are 25 shows coming out between now and the end of April, like new shows, like not, oh, there will be 25 episodes that we want to watch. It's 25 titles yeah. between the end, now and the end of April. And now I started looking up and I was like, this is going to continue into May too. Hacks is coming back, like all this stuff. When you add on to the fact that I don't know if non-basketball fans can really understand this, but 
what happens to us this time of year. <laughs> we turn into gremlins. My wife goes away. Honestly, she's like that. She goes and visits her mom like usually. It's like this turns into from 4 p.m. PST to like 10, 30, 11. We essentially watch hoops. Yeah. And that's on a weekday. Weekend yeah. <laughs> is starting. It's morning tonight, really, on weekends, especially these opening weekends of the playoffs. Four games back to back, which is kind of the best time of the year to be a basketball fan, but also the worst. Yeah. There is an initial wave where you're like, this is so awesome. This is what I've been waiting this whole year to get to. That Clippers-Timberwolves game was a perfect example of like, yep. oh, this is why I don't like regular season basketball. <laughs> or I do. But you know, like it's like when you get an atmosphere like that and it's so charged and it's so competitive, you just realize like, oh, this is what it's like for every possession to matter. And you know, then we'll hit a lull where it's like game five in a bunch of series that are kind of perfunctory. Yeah. And we'll sort of start questioning our life choices. But I was curious whether or not for you, like, do you even have time to watch TV when the NBA playoffs are on? A little bit. Uh, honestly, though, I think it's getting easier now just because the shows that are coming back, the big stuff that I'm interested in, the Better Call Sauls, the Berries, those kinds of shows, they're not the event shows that I have to worry about missing as they come on. Right. I think, I'm sure you had this experience too, where it's like, if you did not watch Game of Thrones that night and you're on the internet as a member of the NBA world, it's just very dangerous. And so yeah. like, you had to be on top of that stuff in a way that just because of the destabilization of culture right now, you don't have to. Like I, I can wait a couple days or, or a week and then catch up on an episode or two. There's a, a feeling that happens when an episode goes live, I think. So th what you're talking about with Game of Thrones... I would say probably six to eight times in my last five or six years, I've been like, I'm so glad I've either already watched this or that I watched this as early as possible. There's also been half a dozen times where something has been spoiled by Twitter just because Twitter is usually part of our jobs in terms of like seeing news. And someone is like, damn, this happened in The Mandalorian or whatever. And you're like, well... Sure. Cool. Like, I was only waiting 30 <laughs> years for that to happen. Thanks, man. Um... But I actually, funnily enough, I believe that was nephew Kyle who did that oh. uh, with Mandalorian. <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. But, you know, even now when there isn't like the, you don't necessarily have this huge captive audience that's like, did you see this happen? I noticed today that Tokyo Vice, the episodes four and five went up and I obviously watched the first three. I was very, I'm very excited about this show. I talked to Michael Mann for it. The second two episodes, the episodes two and three are awesome as well, although very different from the pilot. And I'm so excited to see where this show goes. And I already feel like a little bit of a weight on my chest because mm. there's 120 minutes of Tokyo Vice that I'm behind on, even if it's like, I don't think that everybody in the world is like, did you see what happened on TV last <laughs> night? Um, but it's, it isn't, isn't that like a kind of interesting thing where like these shows are coming on there. Moon Knight goes up in the middle of the night or whenever you, it's usually available in the morning. Outer Range, I think, goes up tonight at midnight. I'm not exactly sure when they, when they pull the trigger on that for Amazon. These shows are kind of scattered throughout the day. You might see something about them. But yeah, if you can disconnect enough, I think it gives you like, you can pick and choose what you want to watch when you have time in between the playoffs. The danger though, is that if you do pick and choose, you know, like I, I sit back and, and wait on Tokyo Vice and then one week becomes three and then five and then six months. And then it's just like, maybe I'll never get to this show. Yeah. And I know you have to make those concessions at some point, but it is a bummer that there is so much good TV on right now. And it, it's it's kind of like how you're in a perpetual state of, oh, I'm going to read that New Yorker article yeah. at some point, except yes. TV, you know, ad infinitum. Yeah. And, and so what happens also is like, 
you know, you start to change your relationship to the shows that you like. So, for instance, with Tokyo Vice, now is that becoming like essentially a binge show for you? You know what I mean? Like if you want to get caught up with that, can you parcel it out? This is the thing is that we were a little bit reliant on cable networks and networks to tell us like, it's okay to stop watching now. I'm going to end the yep. episode. And then next week you can come back to Lost. And then if you want, you can wait until the end of the season and watch all of it on a DVD nine months later. But for the most part, like we'll control the amount of intake. It's ridiculous that we've now like turned over all of this and there is a lot of freedom to it. But now I'm just like, I don't really know. Like, should I, should I be, should I be done with this season already? Should I not be this far behind on something? How should I be talking about it? Should I talk about it week to week? Should I wait till the episode, the season is over? So yeah, I mean, I will say one nice thing, and this this is going to sound a little bit noxious, but and it's not it's not about any given show that's on now, but the heavyweights are coming. Like yep. uh, Saul, Barry, and I would actually just shout out, and these are not like in any way like official like capsule reviews of these shows, but we own this city, which is the David Simon show uh, about uh, police corruption in Baltimore. I'm like, you know what, man dudes are back to take their corners. Like these, <laughs> these are like really, 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 really great pieces of television. And, and, um, Saul, especially, uh, I did a pod that'll go up Monday night with Joanna about the first two episodes that air on Monday night. What's your level of anticipation for Saul? Extremely high, but I'm definitely in, I need to do a full kind of catch up on everything that happened, uh, just cause it's been so long because that's such a dense show. It's been because two it's years. Such- and well, it's, it's such a character show too. It's like if I read a Wikipedia plot summary of what happened in season five, those aren't really things I care about from yeah. that show necessarily. Uh, for me, it's like as soon as it transitioned into being a Kim Wexler show, it's like, oh, this is this is where I want to be. This is where I want to live. Yeah. So were you like a huge Breaking Bad fan? A big one, I would say. You know, I was definitely kept up with it all, you know, especially over the last couple seasons live. Uh, and Saul, I was a little reluctant just because I find myself very allergic to prequels yeah. on principle. And Saul has dodged all of those landmines, all the prequel landmines that I hate personally, it has managed to avoid. You know, like I always think about X-Men First Class, uh-huh. uh, that, that prequel movie. There's a scene in which all the kids are in a room together like, let's make code names for each other. I'll be Mystique. And it's like, oh God, we're going to do this every time. <laughs> so I was kind of dreading the point at which he would become Saul Goodman, but they handled it so so well, so aptly in a way that's so true to that character and so interesting. I, I can't help but be really invested in a show like that. I feel like, is this show better than Breaking Bad? That take is now, like, I don't, know if, I don't know if Vegas is taking bets on no. that anymore. It's, it it's feels like that's got a lot of momentum. You know, you were talking about, like, the impossibility of, or, you know, reading recaps of shows or maybe trying to, to, to keep up with something or, or refresh your memory and whether or not, like, that kind of interface for the show is useful. I did something very weird this week. I read a recap. Actually, I did two weird things. I listened to Midnight Boys and then read a recap of Moon Knight before I watched it. Oh, boy. I think that may have been the wrong choice. (laughs) (laughs) What was your experience watching it after all that? Well, the older I get, the the more I make, I think, bizarre choices. Like, I watched (laughs) season two of For All Mankind before season one. What? And now, like, I'm, you know, and that's another show that's coming back, I believe, in either May or June that the third season is coming, which is incredible. But I was just in my car last night driving somewhere and I needed some, I was was like, oh, Midnight Boys is up. So I just started listening and then they got into the recap and I was like, what? <laughs> I just didn't understand. <laughs> I was just like, wait, have I seen Moon Knight yet? 
And, you know, I got to say, watching the episode itself didn't really clear that many things up for me. I I really, really, really want to like the show maybe more than I do. And in the past, I think Andy and I have talked about that pressure that Marvel shows sometimes have to, like, connect to the larger universe, to have some sort of significant stakes in them. And whether or not, like, you know, I'm like, I'm fine if a show is just like, look, we're just doing, like, a side story. We're just doing a smaller character. We're just doing this thing. I have no reason. I don't care whatsoever if, like... Emily Van Camp shows up on uh, Midnight or something like that. There's just something about it that doesn't feel fully baked to me. I don't. I don't know if that's maybe it's the look that's bothering me or something. There's like a couple of the scenes in this week's episode that I watched that felt very like the uh, the Google conversation uh, backdrop that they yeah. took from like Tatooine in the Book of Boba Fett and just made it for Cairo. What What have you been thinking about this show this so far? I increasingly just have the thought that it's going to be very hard for me to care at all about this character, about Mark slash Steven. Mm-hmm. I just don't find myself connecting with him at all. I don't find him super interesting. And this is as someone who I love watching Oscar Isaac perform. Yeah, And I so mean, the idea, I mean, I, you, you see what they're trying to do. This kind of adventure tinged show. I've, you know, I've heard, you know, Charles compared it to Indiana Jones when you had him on. I think they're definitely going for that kind of vibe with some of this relic stuff. To me, it reads as they're making like a much lesser version of The Mummy in which Oscar Isaac is both Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz at the same time, <laughs> which doesn't quite work. Uh, I don't I don't love it. Um, but I think you're dead on about the visual of the show. Like this is a, this should be a show with huge sweeping vistas yeah. of Egypt. Making that look good should not be this hard. They shot... They shot it primarily in Hungary, um, and I think that I I wouldn't I can't say with any uh, authority or anything, but it does look like they're using some of the technology that Mandalorian kind of, if not pioneered, at least popularized, where you're basically shooting against an LED screen that shows you the background of the place that you're shooting in. So, like, if you want to say like 1970s New York, you can dial that up, and you can yep. have a guy standing in front of that. I'm not I'm not saying that they're not shooting in real locations or anything, but there is something a little bit synthetic about the way it looks that's throwing me off. And then I think, you know, there's so much um, Marvel mythology BS in a lot of these shows and movies where you're just like dealing a lot with like what Thanos' sort of endgame is here and or maybe what... You know what's happened? What happened after uh, the Savakia? So, like, what was that place <laughs> called again? I always Sokovia, Sokovia, Sokovia Accords or whatever. But they've sort of replaced a lot of that with this Egyptian mythology in yep. Moon Knight, which is equally dense. And I thought I think I was like really fired up for that, and in the beginning, and I'm finding it um, a little like it's just kind of washing over me rather than like like really grabbing me. We don't have any reason to care about all this this whole menagerie of Egyptian gods who have all of a sudden stumbled into this show. I, I just again, I just don't have any investment in them. There's this whole tribunal scene in this in this episode three in which like the music is telling me this is a really big and devastating and important moment and I'm just not feeling the yeah. stakes of anything at all. And it's an interesting contrast with something like Eternals, which I think is a largely unsuccessful movie, but the first 15 to 20 minutes of that sets up this group of kind of similar figures. And I wonder if it's a show like this, what if you had started with the gods and Rather gotten than to the Mark Steven thing? Right. Yeah. And and get, you know, get to that point. So we have more at stake in terms of like the the kind of like politics of this group. 
Sure. Do you uh, find yourself searching the margins to see if you can find any connective tissue to like the larger Marvel stuff? Or is that something that you're comfortable just like if it happens, it happens? I'm cool if it happens, it happens. Like, you know, they name dropped Madripoor or something in this episode. It's yeah. like, okay, I vaguely remember that from Falcon and Winter Soldier. Cool. Um, but like you, I'm totally fine with an unrelated side story. I think that would be that would be ideal in a lot of ways for a property like this one, which already has... You know, a, like a, a credibility battle in terms of making you want to like this character and think that he's cool when the CGI is kind of iffy and you've never seen him before. There just isn't that kind of immediate recognition where you see Captain America's suit and there's iconography to yeah. that. You see Moon Knight's suit and it's like, who, who is this dude? I have to be, I have to be won over in a different way. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way of looking at it. What was your, so far, what's been your favorite uh, Marvel show on, on Disney Plus? Oh, Loki by Miles. Okay. And did you feel like that was like super successful to you or was that just the best of the shows for you? I think it was quite successful, not perfect. You know, there were some episodes where it was more like you see what they're going for more so than this really got me. Uh, But I think overall as a product, it makes more sense to me. It's a more compelling character. And most importantly, I think introduced the most successful original character from any of these shows so far in the Sylvie character in that yeah. show versus, you know, like Layla in this show is kind of interesting. I'm curious to see where she goes, but I'm just, I don't really have enough to hang on yet versus Sylvie and Loki from her first appearance basically is a really compelling character. And it's because they set her up to be because there's all this, this prelude that there's this other character lurking out there. And so when she's revealed, you already have something invested in that reveal. Would you say that Marvel is like the the thing you're of all of that kind of like, for lack of a better term, nerd culture stuff that you're most chiefly interested in? Or is it Star Wars or is it something else? Or I'm probably more Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm kind of waiting for the next Star Wars movie, which I guess may not happen <laughs> at this point. Uh, so, you know... It, Needless to say, like I'm not as high on the uh, the Book of Boba Fett version of Star Wars versus... Mando or sure. Last Jedi or so, some of these more like evocative ideas, uh, but but I am I'm very excited for Obi Wan. I think that's that's kind of hitting me more where I live. A lot riding on that. I feel yeah. like after Boba Fett, which was which I you know I I didn't really love, but did was also like a backdoor season three of Mandalorian. So I think it's kind of hard to judge it on its own terms. I do think that like Obi Wan has been delayed a bit had yeah. uh, some creative behind the scenes stuff with the scripts being tossed and then they brought in a new writer. The sort of reaction that I saw to the trailer was closer to the reaction to the Force Awakens. You know what I mean? Like that was like that kind of palpable true freak out of people yeah. just being like I've been waiting for this so long and like I need this back in my life. It'll be really fascinating to see how they deal with that kind of fan intensity with the uh, somewhat kicking the can down the road itis that all of these shows have, you know? Well, let me tell you, that fan intensity, uh, it doesn't go great with Star Wars historically. (laughs) So if, if this thing doesn't deliver, again, blowing people's already very high expectations out of the water, I think you're going to hear a lot of, a lot of chatter, a lot of back talk about, oh, this isn't my Obi-Wan. This isn't the version that I had imagined in my mind. As, as, as you alluded to, for, for you know, 30 years at this point, people have been nursing this idea of what Obi-Wan was supposed to be doing uh, during this period of his life. So there's, there's a lot writing on this for a lot of people, but it's a stable enough character that I think you can hang a show on it where Boba Fett, for example, I was pretty skeptical of that from the start. 
Um, and that's one area where for, for the true nerds, for the true Star Wars heads, I think a show like Ahsoka can be really promising because there's enough backlog with all the Star Wars cartoons that if you're into that kind of stuff, you know that character so well and are really invested in her story. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's probably less margin for, the margin for error in Obi-Wan is much smaller than Ahsoka. Like Obi-Wan, I think has, what it has going for it is there, it can, that character and they could bring in other characters It doesn't take a lot to, to imagine who, that would basically like push that show into a higher stratosphere of, uh, I think popular culture like mania around it. Yeah. If like certain things happen or you, you get to see certain things that you've been wondering about for so long. With Ahsoka, you're right. Like that is like the kind of like the Moon Knight to the Falcon and Winter Soldier or Moon Knight to uh, maybe not Hawkeye because I think Hawkeye is a little bit on the side and the Avengers itself. But I would say Falcon and Winter Soldier just because of the Captain America element probably had a sure. lot of the, the most attention ar- around it. And, um, you know, when you do something like Moon Knight, you, you know, you, you're not going to have as much scrutiny, but you're also going to maybe have to struggle a little bit to like make it connect, connect and make it make sense to people. We can pivot out of uh, Marvel and I do want to talk about Outer Range, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Winning Time because I, I hadn't really talked to you about this yet. I did a pod with Waz and Bill yesterday about uh, episode six and I feel like this show is an example of something where it's just like, incremental improvement every week yeah that i don't know if a lot of people are giving shows that kind of chance anymore because there's so much stuff to watch and there's so much stuff competing for your attention that if you start a recommendation for a show by being like it gets really good four hours into it there are people who might just be like it could turn into godfather two four hours into it i just don't have this (laughs) much time have you been enjoying the show so far yeah, I, I'm in a similar mindset, enjoying it more and more. And some of that I think is just because of the weird pacing at the start of the show. There's a lot of throat clearing in those first couple episodes. And when you start getting into the basketball, which was honestly the part I was most skeptical about, was yeah. how are they going to portray that in a way that is evocative of the real thing? They, they've nailed it. Those dynamics are really fun. Where they're getting now, where there's actually a season going on, and you have all this backstage intrigue, that's a really good balance for a show. And I think most importantly... I'm just fascinated by, you know, Quincy Isaiah's performance as Magic and Solomon Hughes as Kareem has been unbelievable. I would watch a whole Kareem spinoff show, frankly. Yeah, you know, we were busting Bill's chops about this because he was like, I'm not super into the Kareem character. Oh, I love it. But I think he's doing the most he can with like the material he has in terms of like, he's obviously his, as a character, isolates himself from the team, from a lot of the other people on the show and is now slowly kind of coming more into the fold and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to like get into like, well, if you know what happens in the 1979-1980 season, <laughs> this happens. The McKinney stuff, I think, took the show up a notch. Yeah. Like, I think, ironically, for all the star power that the show has, it was the arrival of Tracy Letts that kind of unlocked the show in a lot of ways because he brought a different, less self-referential uh, kind of performance style than, say, Quincy Isaiah or John C. Riley, who were obviously following directions but are doing a lot of like looking at camera winking kind of like fourth wall breaking and for the most part i think there he may have like one or two kind of jim from the office looks but for the most part let's is playing this as this misunderstood and forgotten genius in nba history who revolutionized the game he's been a really interesting presence and and an interesting bridge between the people who know this story and the people who don't. Mm-hmm. Because I'll admit, 
a lot of this stuff is broad strokes for me. I was not there to watch it firsthand. So it's like all secondhand accounts, all reading books about this era, seeing clips, seeing games. So I knew, for example, that he was in a bike accident and they do a really nice head fake where he almost gets hit by a car when he's on the bike. And I'm like, oh, they're telegraphing this so hard. But I got hooked. They got, they definitely got me with that kind of misdirect. And I like that they're being playful with some of those details presentationally of, oh, you you know the broad strokes of this story, but we're going to twist it just enough that there's something you're not quite expecting in the way we're going to show it. Yeah, and I think for the most part, the liberties that they're taking with the characters, a lot of people had issues with the depiction of Jerry West. But I find that they're turning the the sort of dial up enough on certain people. So like the way that they depict Westhead or the way Siegel's playing Paul Westhead yeah. is as this kind of jumpy academic who uh, doesn't have maybe the uh, authority to really run a team and is trying to grow into that role on the fly. And Siegel is like a really accomplished mainstream actor. Like I can tell like he's just like, this guy needs to have this frailty that's almost palpable whenever he walks into a room. Even if Paul Wesson might have been like perhaps more uh, nuanced than that, or perhaps I'm like more reserved. I don't know. I, yeah. don't, I don't like know a ton about Wesson. Then, I, and, I, and I was saying this to Bill and Waz, but the stuff in episode six with uh, Ry- Pat Riley and and Paul Wesson, and just like that, the burgeoning kind of relationship, and also like just their kind of you know, the way that Wesson is just like so emotional and so intellectual about it, and Pat Riley is like a little bit more like from the hip and kind of like, yep, well, I guess I have to read more Shakespeare. I just thought that whole scene was so cool. I love that one. And it kind of made me wonder, did we really need that whole Pat Riley introductory episode that I think was part of the weird pacing at the start of the show? Like if that was the first time we had seen Pat Riley. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting portrayal and introduction to that character. Or if you'd seen him for the first time, like he shows up in Palm Springs and he's like, I'm VHS taping this. And like Jerry West comes up to him and says, can I see the practice? Absolutely. And that way you're still getting, you know, he's trying to make his way on this other side of the game. He's kind of a go-getter, kind of neurotic, uh, kind of insecure about how he's going to fit into this broadcast. Like you could hit all of those notes in a much more condensed way along the way. I mean, I understand why you want to dedicate time to him because he's going to be a big piece in this story. Spoiler alert, Pat Riley's a Hall of Fame coach. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, you know, at present, he is more of a background player for sure. And I think that's why they fall into whether it's Westhead, whether it's West, you know, some of these more cartoonish or broad portrayals is, this is such a big cast. Yeah. Like there's, there are a lot of characters and players you need to know and need to know in a shorthand of how they fit together. And so have, it's a little, it's a little bit of a caricature at times, but it's a, you know, honestly, Showtime is a big, broad, splashy kind of story. I don't, I don't mind it for this source material. Yeah, no, it, it does feel like it's sto- sort of like, they had a, a, a obviously a very distinctive visual look that they were using. I think that look has sort of chilled out a little bit as it's gone on. They'll still switch grains or they'll switch film stocks, oh, but there's a little that? bit less text on screen. There's a little bit less like 2022 hindsight on moments. Like they had that with the shoe deal, uh, which I think was probably very useful to understand. Like even this Converse deal that seems very you know maybe generous at the time was nowhere near what he would have made with Nike had he signed with Phil Knight when Phil Knight goes up to him. Also great, great little Phil Knight scene there. But yeah, I mean like 
I, I think that in a in a different world, this would just be like a del- awesome Sunday night show to have on that didn't have any competition and it was like given space to kind of grow into itself. And instead, probably I think lost some viewers over the first few episodes who maybe found the style or the um, tone to be not to their liking. I hope people give it a second chance. I hope so too. And, and certainly for people in our walk of life, you just don't see NBA stories get dramatized in this way ever. I mean, certainly not with this degree of, uh, you know, nudity and sexuality and, you know, behind the scenes intrigue. This is not a thing that exists. And so coming, you know, I like, I'll watch the dropout and I know again, the vague, the vagaries of the story. I know the beginning and end points, something like this. It's, it's interesting to see how they parcel it out, how they put all the puzzle pieces together. Um, I like, you know, I like seeing the engineering of a show like this coming a little bit from that world. So we were joking around yesterday at the end of the Prestige TV pod where we were talking. I I was actually saying like, I wonder whether or not they'll continue to do basically a season of TV matched up to a season of basketball or whether they'll skip ahead to maybe 84 or 87 or or whatever. And Bill was like, I hope not because there's so much stuff to do. We were also getting into like, what other NBA shows would you want to see? Like what's what's an NBA you know, not necessarily in the style of winning time, but is like another kind of drama that you would like to see played out. Waz suggested the formation of the Heatles. Oh yeah. I was trying, I was really racking my brain with this. Um, there are a couple of, I, I would love to see that seventies Knicks team with DeBusher, like kind of, uh, and Bill Bradley come together. That was a really interesting squad and just like New York in the seventies anyway. Uh, I think that there's, I mean, it's so hard now with last dance to conceive of anything around Jordan ever approaching the thoroughness of that depiction, you know? Sure. I mean, much, much less the, the myth making of that particular production, which, I mean, they took some liberties on that show that sure. are bigger than anything on, on winning time for sure. But there are a lot of interesting NBA stories. I could see the, the first year of the Steve Nash sons being a kind of parallel story to this one in terms of style of play and like a visionary philosophical change in the way the game is played. And you got Sarver in it, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, Showtime, like this, and I think the Heatles stories are unique in that you have some of the machinations on a franchise level to to pair with everything that's going on in a basketball sense. I Maybe we could do like a mini series, like a limited series on the DeAndre Jordan hostage situation. <laughs> Still one of the, the most captivating moments online in the last 20 years. <laughs> Who do you want to play the chair that they propped up against the door? <laughs> Maybe that's Will Ferrell. We can get Will Ferrell that job. You know, you I think that's get... an Ansel Elgort job, probably. That's right. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Okay, Rob, let's talk about tonight's main event, which is uh, Outer Range. Now, usually, uh, Andy and I typically will just be like, the show is coming and it's sick. Uh, Since this is coming tomorrow and this episode will go up on the later side on the East Coast uh, on Thursday, I feel like we can get a little bit more into a detailed look at this. I hit you up and I was like, I'm going to see if I can get you screeners for the show Outer Range. And I believe I described it as Yellowstone colon True Detective. Yes. Or True Detective colon Yellowstone. Did my description uh, match the product? It might have undersold it. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, this is, this is, this is right plumb in, the un, uh, plumb in the uprights for me. And uh, really the moment where I knew this show had me was it opens close-ups of a horse galloping into like this moody, ominous prairie. There's this great droning score. Really, the score for the show is, is fantastic. It's awesome. Um, and you get this voiceover that's, do you know anything about the Greek god named Cronus? And I was like, this is... I laughed aloud in my living room at how extremely my shit this was. This is my love language, this kind of show. So uh, this is a show written by a guy named Brian Watkins, who's a, uh, a playwright. And it is uh, stars Josh Brolin as the... Uh, head of a, of a Wyoming ranching family, which obviously will have its echoes of Yellowstone with the Kevin Costner family. Uh, this family is uh, named the Abbots. Uh, Josh Brolin plays a character named Royal Abbott. He's married to... Uh, his wife is played by Lily Taylor. Uh, he's got uh, a couple of sons, one of, one of whom is played by Tom Pelfrey, who was so amazing on Ozark a couple of years ago. And Lewis Pullman plays another one. I think he's the one who's the rodeo writer. And essentially... The premise for the show without, and I don't want to give away details of really what happens outside of what you can see in the trailer necessarily, but it's got one of the best, like just setups of a show in a really long time, which is you've got this neo modern Western setup, and then you put a giant void in a pasture out on a ranch. <laughs> Josh Brolin discovers a perfect circular void hole in the ground that does not look of this earth in a, uh, a part of his ranch and he needs to figure out what it is. He needs to figure out where it came from, what it does, what happens if you go in, what happens if you're pushed in, what happens if you throw something in it? Uh, do you come out 
where when do you come out and a lot of the uh joys of this show which i think is incredible is that it'll be something for 15 minutes and then they somehow shift gears into another genre and you're like yeah but i'm going like i'm with it like you've got me like you can switch this to sci-fi you can switch this to david lynch you can switch this to cormac mccarthy and i'm i'm still rolling with you yeah, did you get kind of an annihilation vibe yeah. from the void situation? For sure, for sure. I, there's obviously those. There's moments where like a character will step into a room and all of a sudden there's a monologue, like an Al Swearingen style monologue about erotic art. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's like I, I'm totally with you on the tone balancing and genre bending. There's there's a lot going on here um, that, that I'm really into. I think that marries together really well. And I think one thing they do that's very smart is just. Obviously, there's this void and unpacking what it is and what it isn't uh, is a big part of the show. But they kind of tether you to mysteries in opposite directions where there's also this kind of crime and family drama stuff that we know all the ins and outs of, but characters don't. And then there's this void that we know very little about and we don't know if anyone knows anything about it. Those two poles at the same time, plus all of these other plot lines and intrigue, it keeps you in a really taut place as a viewer. So you were talking about how... Winning time starts a little slow. You know, it, it's got the all the magic and Lansing stuff feels like it's like a little bit foot draggy and getting Jerry Bust to the team and getting Jerry West maybe out of the team or off the coaching bench takes like three hours. They made the hell out of this show out of Outer oh, Ranch. Yeah. You are like, it starts rolling. It kind of reminds me of Ozark in the sense that um, the first episode of Ozark is like essentially a season of TV. The first episode of Outer Range, like seven or eight things happen and you're just like, it never feels rushed or manic or like too frenetic. It's really stately. It's like you mentioned, um, like the the night photography of these horses running. It's directed, these first two episodes are directed by a guy named Alonzo Ruiz Palacios, who did one of my favorite features from last year. I talked about it on Big Picture called A Cop Movie, which I think you can still watch on Netflix. And it is one of the most disorienting, is this a documentary? Is this a narrative film? Like, what am I watching? Uh, he also did some episodes of Narcos, which were great, uh, Narcos Mexico. So he's a really exciting filmmaker and is specifically suited, I think, to this is going to be a family drama, then it's going to be a crime show, then it's going to be a sci-fi show. The other element that we didn't mention yet is that midway through the first episode, I guess I like a drifter, I, I, not even a drifter, Imogen Poots shows up. And I feel like she is the lightning bolt that more shows need. The kind of like this, I think I'm watching, you know, Yellowstone and it's this family and they've got their secrets and they've got their crimes and they've got their misdemeanors. But this brings in this different element of she is like a poet backpacker who's just looking for a place to stay. And Josh Brolin's character seems strangely amenable to that, even though his sons are like, what are you doing? And she just is like this chaos agent on this show uh, so far. And her performance is amazing. Well, let me ask you this about the void part of this show in general. Like, sure. How do you approach these kinds of mystery type shows? Are you a puzzle boxer or I kind of am on the other side of it where I almost don't want to think about the fundamental mystery of the show too much on my own. I kind of want to see it unfurl in front of me. Depends on the show. So this is, this is interesting that you should ask me this because Joe, Joe and I were talking a little bit about Better Call Saul. Joanna and I were talking and this, will, this is from an episode that comes out on Monday, but we were talking about, you know, how you can essentially like layer Saul over Breaking Bad 
to try and figure out what happens in certain plot directions. Like, why yeah. is this like this now? And then it seems to be like this later. And they've been incredibly lucky in that, or not lucky, but very careful that there are certain characters, obviously, on Saul that we don't see on Breaking Bad, but never are officially written out of that world. So, like, they could exist, they could not. So we were talking about that. And I was thinking, like, for that, that's fun. Like, when you come across, like, a Salamanca storyline, you kind of be like, wait, what happened with this? And what's, what does Bolsa do? I tend to find it very frustrating to do that, but also I'm too weak-willed not to do it with, <laughs> with Marvel and Star Wars shows. Yeah. So, it, to the extent that I'm, like, able, I'll, like, look and be like, okay, so, like, who do we think is a very, I mean... I, I really like ran chased my tail around the room for a while about like is Reed Richards going to be on WandaVision or something but I think that the stuff that I tend to really jump into is Mare True Detective like those kinds of crime shows that have a slightly occult supernatural element to them the cool thing about this is that they could just have this void sitting out in the ground and there's some stuff with symbology getting in, you know, and like there's like elements to it that really start to like feel like a little first season true detective. And they could just be like, we're going to keep you guessing about this for six or seven hours. And we don't have to go into what happens, but we can just say that they do not keep you guessing. No. But I mean, but again, there's so much being juggled here, but throw a cowboy hat on it and it all is cohesive somehow because, you know, there are many men like us. Chris, you know, we will watch dozens of hours of cowboy TV rather than go to therapy. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it, it's wild. I've seen some headlines for reviews of this show that uh, I think one I saw was like, it's Stranger Things meets Ozark. And I've seen people say it's this meets that. And like, you know, you're basically taking in five, six, seven different versions of peak TV titles that are just really, but like there is an element of truth to it. You know, I don't think that Watkins has written something for TV before, but somebody very, very, very carefully like engineered this. Like there is like some real like savvy, like for this genre, we have this, for this genre, we have that, for this kind of fan, this is going to scratch an itch, but it doesn't feel cynical. It doesn't feel like they're trying to do, uh, let's throw thir- close encounters of the of the third kind on top of uh, you know a western. No, and it doesn't feel like the people involved are there for a check either. No. You know, like like I think Mayor is a good comparison where Josh Brolin in this lead performance I think is really good. I think up and down this cast, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Obviously, you know, even after all these years, I'm still a sucker for the inscrutable leading man type. Sure. Uh, so that's still working for me. But really, the whole family dynamic I find pretty fascinating. Yeah, so I hope people check it out. Outer Range is on Amazon. It starts on Friday. I think two episodes this week, two episodes. Maybe they're doing the Maisel release schedule with two episodes, two episodes, on and on and on. Rob, are you watching anything else that you want to recommend or that you want to shout out before we get going? I saw that you were into Starstruck. Yeah, yeah. Getting into Starstruck, still about midway through. I mean, a delightful show that I would hope anyone who is interested in the romantic comedy space at all or Rose Matafeo at all uh, would, would be into that. I came to it because I've seen a lot of Taskmaster okay. in which she was a contestant. She was fantastic and that show is great. Uh, but other than that, I'm kind of in between a lot of things. And as I said, trying to pack in some movies. I saw Ambulance the other night, had a Did blast. Did you really? Oh, I mean, Dude, let's talk about ambulance for a second. <laughs> um, did you come out like sweating and needing like to be hosed down after that? <laughs> I really did. It was me. I, I saw a pretty late showing. 
it was me and maybe like two or three other random couples alone in this giant movie theater. And you could just hear cackling at various action yeah. sequences throughout because it's that kind of movie. I heard you and ta- you and uh, Sean talking about on the big picture and you guys talking about how it's one of Michael Bay's smallest movies. And I was like, this is a movie in which there's like a giant robot chain gun cartel shootout. Yes. And yet, yes, it yeah. is the smallest Michael Bay movie. Absolutely. That I mean, he definitely out. takes over the, the 105, the 405, the 10, <laughs> the 10 and, and half of Los Angeles. But yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no comets coming for the earth. There's no, no, you know, like there's, there's no transformers, maybe an ambulance too. What did you think of Gyllenhaal in this movie? Fantastic. I love unhinged Gyllenhaal. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. Who do you think is, in that wheelhouse of like, who's the next actor who needs to take the unhinged turn? That, I'm looking out for the, I'm scouting the next Jill and Hall is what I'm saying. Lucas Hedges? That could we, be good. We gotta get Lucas Hedges with Michael Bay. <laughs> He's played enough sad sons. Yeah. Like, can, we get, can we get this guy like a truly unhinged role, please? Yeah, you, you got Manchester by the Sea under your belt, man. Like just, just, just do Ambulance too. <laughs> is, he, is he the paramedic? Is he the bank robber? Is he both? I don't know. Like, there's a lot of IP to mine here with Ambulance. Yeah, I wonder where we could go with Ambulance. Like, the, maybe it's like more, it's just like, it, did they have any other adopted family siblings? You know, like, was there a larger foster child community going on with, with Danny Sharp? I hope people check out Ambulance in the theater. Uh, it is, I don't know if you felt that way, but like, it was one of those things where I was just like, I'm so glad that I saw this with this level of sound and like this level of picture, it was just really, really exciting. I'm curious to see how it plays at home because definitely in the theater, I had that exact same experience. Every time there is a, not even, I know know you guys were talking about the drone shots, but there's these drone shots in particular that like go up a building and then flip and come back down it. Yes. I was just laughing out loud every time. And that wouldn't play as well on Peacock. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was actually thinking about this with Batman because it's coming I think in next week, Batman's on HBO Max. Wow. And that seems in and of itself just bizarre. I mean, I know Dune was the same way, but now it just seems like, man, like this is a half a billion dollar box office movie. It's crazy that this is just going to be sitting right next to Hacks next week. I can't even fathom watching Dune on HBO Max. I, I like, I, as someone who took that in as an IMAX experience, like what, what even is that movie on a small screen? Yeah, I mean, I think that in some ways, though, like Dune, like if you wanted to like get really immersed in it and rewatch it and kind of check, like you can kind of you can watch it with subtitles if you want to. You can rewatch yeah. scenes immediately. You know, I've I've always been fascinated with like that element of like the Netflix experience and the ability to kind of immediately kind of go back through it in that way. Uh, and it's so user friendly that I wonder whether or not it develops like habits of rewatching some of those shows. They haven't really done. Mm-hmm a super prestigious drama in a little while. I know I'm forgetting something, but like, it just feels like it's been a while since other than Ozark that were, that I've talked about like a Netflix drama that, but when Netflix, like when Narcos was on, I used to like go back through Narcos and like do screenshots of crazy moments and stuff like that. Like there is a certain hands-on nature to those things being available on streaming, but yeah, the Batman, I was like, Oh, am I going to watch the Batman? And if I do, do will I just skip past like the plot lines I didn't care about? (laughs) You know what I mean? Absolutely, especially in a movie that long. And yeah, it really is such a distinction the way people watch TV as background noise a lot of the time while they're doing other things. I don't know that someone's going to throw the Batman on in that capacity. 
that's just a very different vibe you're looking to cultivate. Yes, <laughs> it really is. It's going to probably make for a depressing Wednesday if you have that on instead of first take. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today on The Watch. We were produced by Kaya McMullen. Rob, I hope you have a happy and healthy uh, first round of the playoffs. Pray for Luca. Yeah, let's jump into the void together. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.